Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and it has been 20 weeks of the Trump presidency, and folks, we are still alive. It's been a really interesting week. Uh, of course, the biggest news was the Comey hearing that happened on Thursday. Uh, and this week, I'm not going to do an interview because I want to spend the, the latter half of the show talking about Comey's testimony. So I'll get to that. But I want to start out by talking about, and I hope you'll forgive the self-indulgence of this, but uh, I want to talk about something I wrote in Rolling Stone this week. Uh, there'll be a link to the story on the website. There's a link to all the stories I cover on the website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. And I wrote about how it is time for Donald Trump to resign. And I got a lot of reaction to this piece. Uh, most of it came in two categories. The first was people saying, uh, you're a snowflake, Hillary lost, get over it, which to be fair, I'm a snowflake. Uh, and second, people saying, of course he should resign. He should have resigned a long time ago, which I get it. I do. But I still think there was an important shift this week. Trump kind of lost it. And yes, you can argue whether he ever had it. But his reaction to the terrorist attack in London was genuinely unhinged. There's always been this hope among media figures and reluctant conservatives that once he was inaugurated, he would have to chill out, right? He'd recognize the awesome responsibilities of the office of the presidency. He'd be surrounded by people who understood how the government works and understood democratic norms, and they'd keep him grounded. And every time he did something normal, like give an entire speech off a teleprompter without ad-libbing anything too stupid or bomb an airfield in Syria, there would be these odd proclamations about how he had finally become presidential. People really believed the pivot was coming, but then he'd say or do or tweet something stupid. And this week, I think he finally made it clear once and for all, there will be no pivot. Here's what he tweeted after the terrorist attack on London Bridge. Do you notice that we are not having a gun debate right now? That is because they use knives and a truck. The terrorists on London Bridge didn't have guns because they're not widely available in Britain. And thank goodness, because then likely more than seven people would have died. In other words, this attack was proof that gun laws can and do save lives. But more important than that, Trump's tweet was something a C-level right-wing troll would say. It is nothing remotely approaching what a president of the United States should say in the wake of a terror attack. I, I know it's not effective messaging to say Trump isn't presidential. He was elected because he doesn't check those boxes, right? His whole appeal is that he's not the usual politician. But this goes so much further than that. It's stupid. It's thoughtless. It's cruel. And whether we like it or not, Trump speaks for all of us. What he says reflects on our country. And that's why it was so painful when it got even worse. After the attack, the, the mayor of London said this. Londoners will see an increased police presence today and over the course of the next uh, few days. No reason to be alarmed. You'll notice he said there's no reason to be alarmed about increased police presence. But then Trump decided to take him out of context, completely misinterpret what he said. Pathetic excuse by London Mayor Sadiq. Khan, who had to think fast on his no-reason-to-be-alarmed statement. MSM is working hard to sell it. And with that tweet, he started an online feud with the mayor of a city that just suffered a terrorist attack. Again, 
This is the behavior you'd expect from someone like Alex Jones or another conspiracy theory right-wing troll. To hear it from the President of the United States should horrify anybody, no matter what your politics. That is why it is so frustrating to see Republican elected officials continue to engage in, at most, mild criticism of Trump, without any serious talk of the implications of allowing this man to continue as president, to continue controlling the most powerful military and nuclear arsenal in the world, to continue to control the functions of our federal government, to continue to run our foreign policy. It is horrifying, and that horror should be bipartisan. You know, and speaking of foreign policy, he also tweeted this this week. During my recent trip to the Middle East, I stated that there can no longer be funding of radical ideology. Leaders pointed to Qatar. Look! A little background. A group of Gulf states broke diplomatic ties with Qatar. This was, to understate it, a complicated, serious, and delicate situation. It's the perfect example of why you need experienced, smart, cautious diplomats. And look, I'm no expert on this, but we have interests on all sides. There are all kinds of factors in play here, not the least of which is that our largest military base in the Middle East is in Qatar, home to 11,000 U.S. troops. And Trump just went and took sides against the country that hosts them. This is not just unpresidential, it's stupid. It puts men and women who serve in the military in danger. It makes America look thoughtless and weak. And it makes an unstable situation even more unstable. When you are the President of the United States, what you say matters. And yes... That absolutely includes your tweets. Even Sean Spicer said so. Are President Trump's tweets considered official White House statements? Well, the president is the president of the United States, so they're considered official statements by the president of the United States. I know Republicans aren't going to do anything about this. They're too frightened of losing primary challenges if they stand up to Trump. And I'll talk more about this later when I talk about the Comey hearing. But it is time for Republicans to put country over party. And I realize how difficult that's going to be for them, but Trump proved this week, and you can argue he's proved it many times before, but there's no question he proved it this week, that he is simply not fit to be president. And every day he stays in the White House is another opportunity to do more damage to more people, and damage not just to our country's reputation, but to the fundamental fabric of our nation, damage that may never be done. Even if you put aside the entire Russia scandal and investigation and just consider the man's tweets from the past week, that alone is enough to demand this president step down. And more people, including Republicans, ought to be making that call. Like I said, we'll be talking about Comey later in the episode, but the other big news this week was Trump finally naming his replacement to head the FBI. Christopher Wray, a former Justice Department official. Now, I've seen reports that Wray is a serious, respectable guy, but, and, and I wrote about this on Rolling Stone too, I don't really care if he's qualified or not. He could be the single best nominee for director in the history of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But right now, we shouldn't be having a debate over his qualifications. There's a much more fundamental question we need to answer first. Should Donald Trump have the right to nominate the next FBI director? I don't think you'll be shocked to hear that I say no, he shouldn't. But seriously, he definitely should not. We know, because he told us, 
that he fired James Comey because of the Russia investigation. He told us. And in fact, when I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made up story. It's an excuse. He fired the FBI director because of an investigation of his campaign and his associates and his staff. He also demanded the FBI director give him personal loyalty. He told the FBI director to lay off Michael Flynn, all of which, and we'll discuss it later, all of which were incredibly inappropriate. And then he fired Comey for not being loyal, not laying off Flynn, continuing the investigation. So doesn't that mean any FBI director he appoints will know he too can be fired for failing to show the president personal loyalty? I don't know if he made that kind of demand on Christopher Wray or what Ray's response was if he did, but at this point, does that even matter? There is no way Trump can appoint someone who will not know what Trump expects from an FBI director he has appointed. And given the ongoing investigation, how can we possibly have an FBI director beholden to Trump? And yes, there are other options. We can let Andrew McCabe continue to work as acting director until the investigation is finished. Trump could agree to nominate someone chosen by an independent bipartisan commission with no input at all from Trump. What cannot happen is someone under a cloud of suspicion being allowed to choose one of the main people in charge of investigating him. And Ray may be fully qualified for the job, but honestly, just accepting the appointment from President Trump is enough to make me question his judgment. It's unethical for Trump to appoint anyone, and it's unethical for anyone to accept the appointment. Don't forget, Republicans refused to hold a hearing for Merrick Garland because there was an election seven months away. That was a ridiculous excuse for blocking a presidential nominee. But Trump's pick for FBI director? He shouldn't get a hearing. We shouldn't get into a debate over his qualifications because the question isn't about Ray; It's about Donald Trump. It's week 20 of the Trump presidency, and I've done 20 episodes of the Trump scorecard. I like doing it. I really do. But I cannot continue to do this all on my own without your support. So please go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Trump scorecard. I've set a goal for 50 people to sign up to support the Trump scorecard. It's easy. You sign up, you, you pledge a few bucks per episode, and I can keep bringing you this podcast every single week. I can't do without you. So please, patreon.com slash the Trump scorecard. Sign up today. Time's cover article this week is a look at how Trump's old post office hotel here in D.C. is representative of how his campaign promise to drain the swamp is hollow. The hotel with its overpriced drinks. Uh, According to the story, a gin and tonic is $23, and that's a lot, even for D.C. Uh, The hotel's become a meeting place for Republican power players, members of Congress, lobbyists, and and of course foreign governments who want to suck up to the president. And not only is all the same shady deal-making that has always gone on in Washington still happening, but now every dollar these people spend while they're doing it goes into the president's pocket. So the president didn't drain the swamp, he monetized it. And of course, his hotel isn't the only example of how Trump is making money off his presidency. We've seen foreign governments eager to work with him, like China awarding him a bunch of trademarks that he'd wanted for years, or 
when Trump doubled the initiation fee to Mar-a-Lago to $200,000 after being elected. And then he you know, visited the club every weekend and conducted state business there, making it even more valuable to join. And of course, he's done virtually nothing to reduce his ownership stake in his own business. He put his sons in charge, but he still talks to them regularly. They're still deeply involved in politics. And there's no way for us to know whether or not he's involved in running the business or whether his decisions as president are based on how they will affect his businesses. But there was another story this week that, to me, exemplified just how far Trump is willing to go to make money off the presidency. His brand has always been about luxury. It's a cheesy, gaudy sort of luxury, but it's always expensive. But now the Trump organization has announced it's going to buy up a bunch of mid-market three-star hotels starting in uh, small towns in Mississippi and remake them under the brand American Idea. They're going to fill them with a bunch of Americana so they look like TGI Friday, the motel. There's no question about what they're doing with these hotels, right? They are capitalizing on the association of their family name with the presidency and with patriotism. If the Trump organization were to launch these hotels after he left office, that would be, like everything else he does, classless and and gauche. But doing it while he still sits in the White House, that is straight up corrupt. Trump will always say he has no conflict of interest because he's the president and conflict of interest laws don't apply to the president. But, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, legal conflict or no, there are plenty of opportunities for moral conflicts of interest for the president. And every time Trump chooses corruption over decency. Every time. Before we get to the Comey testimony, I want to quickly update you on a story from two weeks ago. Uh, I talked about Trump's first foreign trip, and one of the lowlights of that trip was his decision not to affirm Article 5 in a speech to NATO leaders, essentially withholding the fundamental promise of NATO, which is to come to the defense of any member state if it's attacked. Politico had uh, some more details this week about exactly how Trump came to that decision. Trump's core national security officials, uh, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, Secretary of Defense James Mattis, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, they'd all urged him to include language affirming Article 5 in his speech. And as late as the morning Trump gave the speech, there was a line to that effect in his prepared remarks, which McMaster had signed off on. Everyone assumed it was in the speech. But Trump personally, and without informing his national security team, took the line out of the speech. He just decided, on his own, to send a message to our closest allies that we didn't have their backs, and an even stronger message to Vladimir Putin that America is no longer standing strong behind NATO, which is like number one on Vladimir Putin's wish list. Maybe number three, but it's up there. Trump is trying to paint his trip as some kind of historic moment, the beginning of the end of terrorism and his debut as a leader on the world stage. But with the message to Qatar I talked about earlier, it's looking increasingly like he was taken in by the Saudis. And both Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron were trashing Trump after the trip, largely because of his decision not to affirm Article 5. Maybe petty reality TV stars shouldn't be allowed to make important decisions about America's role in the world on their own. But somehow, that's a thing that's happening right now. 
you can go ahead and scream if you want to. On Wednesday, the Senate Intelligence Committee released James Comey's written testimony, and honestly, it was a bombshell. Some of what Comey said in his testimony had been reported before, but never directly from Comey himself. And after this came out, the Republican Party tweeted something pretty dumb. They said, trying to find something of substance in Comey's statement like, along with a a gif of Ethan Hawke looking through a telescope. See, it's a joke because they're having trouble finding anything of substance in Comey's statement. It's good stuff, you guys. Uh, The only problem is there was lots and lots of substance in Comey's statement. Lots. I responded at length uh, to the GOP on Twitter, and I'll, I'll link to that thread on the website. But essentially, here are the highlights from Comey's statement. First, he confirmed the president once demanded that Comey show him loyalty, which is an insane thing for the president to ask of an FBI director, especially a president whose campaign is under investigation. Trump did this twice in the same night. Comey also mentioned he had briefed Trump before the inauguration on the Steele dossier, which included my favorite unverified allegation of all time, that Russians have a tape of prostitutes peeing on a bed at Trump's request. Trump later said he was thinking about ordering Comey to use FBI resources to prove these rumors false, which, A, how would you do that? And B, the FBI is not the president's personal private investigative service he can use to dispel naughty rumors about himself. And C, the P-tape is 100% real in our hearts. Then the big one, Trump asked Comey to let Michael Flynn go. And let's be clear about this. No matter how Trump worded it, it's the President of the United States asking the Director of the FBI to back off an investigation. One of these men had power to fire the other. That means a request is a command, just like it is when your boss politely asks you to do something. Trump also asked Comey to lift the cloud of the Russian investigation because it was impeding Trump's ability to get his agenda passed, and repeatedly asked him to go public with information that Trump himself was not the target of an investigation. Yet. He did all this when he was alone with Comey, had him at the White House for a one-on-one dinner kicked everyone but Comey out of a meeting, including the attorney general, Comey's boss, to get him alone. And that's the crux of a potential obstruction case, right? Kicking everyone out of that meeting and having Comey for a one-on-one dinner showed he knew he was doing something he ought not to be doing. Even before Comey sat down in front of the committee, we already had a huge amount of substance. So no matter what the Republican Party desperately tried to claim with a gif on Twitter... This was already very bad news for Trump. And yes, it got worse for Trump in the hearing. Comey said from his very first meeting, he was so concerned about Trump that he needed to start documenting their conversations. What was it about that meeting that led you to determine that you needed to start putting down a written record? A combination of things. I think the circumstances, the subject matter, and the person I was interacting with. Circumstances first, I was alone with the President of the United States, or the President-elect, soon to be President. The subject matter, I was talking about matters that touch on the FBI's core responsibility and that relate to the President, President President-elect personally. And then the nature of the person. 
I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting, and so I thought it really important to document. I was concerned he might lie about the nature of our meeting. That was their first one-on-one meeting. Before he asked Comey for loyalty, before he asked him to back off Flynn, before he asked him to defend him publicly, and Comey immediately was worried Trump might be a liar. So worried, he wanted to make sure he had an accurate record of the conversation. We also learned Comey didn't act on President Trump's possible obstruction because he was worried it would interfere with the ongoing investigation and that he fully intended to bring it up at a later date. He also said he couldn't bring it to Attorney General Sessions because, well, this was really interesting. What was it about the Attorney General's own interactions with the Russians or his behavior with regard to the investigation that would have led the entire leadership of the FBI to make this decision? Our judgment, as I recall, was that he was very close to and inevitably going to recuse himself for a variety of reasons. We also were aware of facts that I can't discuss in an open setting that would make his continued engagement in a Russia-related investigation problematic. You get that? Comey knew something about Sessions and Russia he can't discuss in an open hearing. Is that a new revelation? Time will tell. But it sounds like Sessions is going to be a target of the investigation if he isn't already. And we learned Comey took Trump's request to lay off Flynn as an order. In terms of his comments to you about, I think you were in response to Mr. Risch, Senator Risch, you said, he said, I hope you will hold back on that. But when you get a, when a president in the United States in the Oval Office says something like, I hope, or I suggest, or, or would you, do you take that as a, as a, as a directive? Yes. Yes. It rings in my ear as kind of, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? See, that's the thing when you're president. You can't make casual requests like that of the people who work for you. You're the president. They're always orders. And even someone as experienced with the ways of Washington as Donald Trump should know that a president asking an FBI director to shut down any part of an investigation on his campaign is a big no-no. Even a hint of interference is clearly something you'd want to avoid. But Trump dived right in. And that's why it's so, I won't say shocking, because it's not shocking, but sad to have watched Republicans on the committee spend most of their time defending Trump instead of doing their job of oversight. They had a a whole bunch of strategies for this. Senator Reich of Idaho tried to focus on Trump saying, I hope. This is the president speaking. I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Now, those are his exact words. Is that correct? Correct. And you wrote them here and you put them in quotes? Correct. Okay. But Comey made it clear it was still in order as far as he was concerned. And the reason I keep saying his words is I took it as a direction. Right. I mean, this is the president of the United States with me alone saying I hope this. I took it as this is what he wants me to do. Now, I didn't didn't obey that, but that's the way I took it. Republicans asked why Comey didn't stand up to Trump, as though they have ever done anything to stand up to the president. They asked why he didn't pursue allegations of obstruction, even though Comey explained it would interfere with the ongoing investigation. They asked if it was so bad that Trump asked him to drop the investigation of Flynn if he only did it one time. Listen, you only need to ask once to obstruct justice. But the strangest moments came when John McCain joined the questioning. Uh, McCain isn't on the Intelligence Committee, 
but uh, Chairman Richard Burr let him ask questions as a courtesy. And I think now both he and McCain wish he hadn't. You should watch the whole video of this exchange. I'll, I'll post it on the website. But, but here's a sample. Well, at least in the minds of this member, there's a whole lot of questions remaining about what went on, particularly considering the fact that, as you mentioned, it's a, quote, big deal as to what went on during the campaign. So I'm glad you concluded that part of the investigation, but I, I, I think that the American people have a whole lot of questions out there, particularly since you just emphasized the role that Russia played. And obviously, she was a candidate for president at the time, so she was clearly involved in this whole situation where fake news, uh, as you just described it, big deal, uh, took place. And, uh, you, you're going to have to help me out here. You, in other words, we're complete the investigation of anything that former Secretary Clinton had to do with the campaign is over and we don't have to worry about it anymore. McCain kept insisting it made no sense Comey had come to a conclusion about Hillary Clinton and her email server, but not Trump and the Russia investigation. He, he seemed unable to understand that it was two completely separate, unrelated investigations, one that was finished and one ongoing. He also called President Trump Comey multiple times. It was odd and, and, and sad and hostile, but mostly it was McCain showing his true colors. Like the rest of the Republicans in Congress, McCain will occasionally express discomfort at something Trump says or does. But when it's important, when there's a big hearing or a big vote, he backs up his president, even if the president has clearly acted in the wrong. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what happened after the hearing. You, you might remember this clip from three weeks ago. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back... No. Next question. Now, this explicitly contradicts what Comey said. So the White House basically had to either acknowledge the president said something that wasn't true or call Comey a liar. I don't think it's that hard to guess which way they went on that one. The president's personal lawyer put out a, a rambling, aggressive statement, one no D.C. lawyer would ever put out for a client facing what Trump is facing. And that statement said, and I quote, The president never, in form or substance, directed or suggested that Comey stop investigating anyone, including suggesting that that Mr. Comey let Flynn go. I, I don't know what the double that is all about. So he's calling Comey a liar. And the White House Deputy Press Secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, doubled down and said definitively, the president is not a liar. But here's the thing. The president is a liar. And I know all politicians sometimes say things that aren't true. But it's different with Trump. He is pathological about lying. He lies every day. He lies about easily disprovable facts. There is no question about this. It comes down to who you believe. Comey or Trump? And yeah, I was furious with Jim Comey after he screwed over Hillary Clinton in the election. But the guy clearly cares about his own personal integrity and his record of honesty. Donald Trump ran a real estate seminar scam that settled with former students to the tune of $25 million. I know who I believe. Donald Trump lies all the time, and 
I wonder if we have begun to reckon with what it means to have a man who lies like he does in the White House. We've had bad presidents before. We've had presidents who have been dishonest. But I don't think we've ever had a president who is so willing to deny the very nature of reality anytime it suits his purpose or his ego. What kind of effect is that going to have on our democracy, not just for the next two years, but for decades to come, to know that someone can be so deceptive, so unconnected with the truth, and still hold this job? He doesn't just lie. He lies with impunity. His party backs him every time, and he suffers no consequences. But someone has to, and I think it's all of us. I think we're going to be paying for President Trump's lies for a very long time. Finally, have you ever wondered what Eric Trump thinks of you? Yeah, me neither. But he told Sean Hannity, so let's listen. You know what? I've never seen hatred like this. I mean, to me, they're not even people. It's it's so, so sad. I mean, morality's just gone. To me, they're not even people. Listen, Eric Trump, I gotta be honest, that's hurtful. Because you're like one-third a human being at best. So if you don't think I'm a people, I must be like 0.001% people. And that goes for all you too. That's it for another week with a president so corrupt it makes my teeth hurt. Guys, I hate asking for money. I hate it. I'm going to ask anyway. Go to patreon.com slash the Trump scorecard and pledge a few bucks per episode. It makes a huge difference. Don't forget to get in touch. Find me on Twitter at Jesse Bernie. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Trump scorecard. And of course, send me an email, the Trump scorecard at gmail.com. Can be no longer be thundered. What? The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal.